Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right. Good day, everyone. It's CJ, and we are live. Welcome to another edition of Rogue News, Rogue Mornings. It's CJ and London Paul. I'm very excited again to be joined by London Paul. He has uh, joined us again. I'm very, very thankful that he's really uh, filled the void while V is enjoying vacation, a well-deserved vacation with his family. So, Paul, how are you this morning? Yeah, good morning, CJ. Yeah, I'm very well. And yourself? I'm doing great, Paul. Uh, you know, just, you know, so much going on, so much news. Uh, you know, we were having a conversation before we began it. You know, I, I almost grabbed the the computers, the desk, and relocated everything to the basement, Paul, because I was, <laughs> as I was getting ready to do the show, I looked upstairs and I, and I thought I saw one of these Chinese super fast jet things across the sky. And, and I, and I thought it was that day, Paul. So, I almost, I almost headed for the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as, as much, yeah, as much as before we came on air, we were joking about it. But, yeah, we've had this history of this whole sort of Russophobic um, uh, attitude to, towards uh, Moscow and the Kremlin, etc. And, of course, it's become more rapid in certain quarters since the whole sort of Mueller-Russia uh, gate fiasco that's been seems to be dragging on for an hour it's like some worn out soap opera but but what of course now has come out is there's this new pentagon report that say, that says it's sounding the alarm over china's expanding military reach and is now saying the rival to american power is increasing its ability to send bombers further afield while likely training for strikes against the u.s and its allies i mean I mean, I'm not sure who they're trying to convince that, that this is a reality. I mean, it might be some veiled attempt to try to get Trump to increase military spending by another few hundred billion or or something of that nature. But, I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, China really... When did China last launch military action against any nation? I mean, <laughs> and like they're really going to go up against the US, but I think it's indicative of the fact that um, China, and we, we said, we've always said Russia was militarily light years ahead of the US, and events in Syria starkly proved that to, to the Pentagon, and it's why Mattis never wanted the US to go in and launch any missile attacks on Syria, because it would tell the rest of the world that militarily Russia most certainly were light years ahead, and, but China's been very quiet militarily about its own um, capabilities, but most certainly in recent weeks and months, it's beginning to very slowly say, look, we've got these hypersonic missiles, and yes, we've got this, and, and, and showing the world very quietly, and whilst most people haven't noticed it, the Pentagon have got even more worried and more concerned. And, um, and it's interesting in, in regard to that, that in this annual Pentagon report, um, it, which said it was called the military and security developments involving the People's Republic of China. So they actually wrote an entire report just based on China. That shows 
the level of sort of rabid fear that exists within certain quarters of the Pentagon. And it said it notes a further defense spending estimate of 190 billion. Well, it's still considerably less than the US, which is now, what, 716 billion. And given its population is over three times the size of, of the US. So let's factor this in effectively. It's, you know, it's, if you multiply that, it's probably nine times less in, in real terms, you know, as a basis of per capita, you know, spending. And they're saying, you know, it's undergone the most uh, comprehensive restructure in its history. Well, the truth is rather like Russia. They, they've undergone this many years ago. I, it really surprises me that, that how ignorant the Pentagon seems to have been about, uh, you know, the military capability of Russia and China. I mean, it's one thing that Russia sort of fudged its but its budget, so it looked like it wasn't spending anything on military, and the U.S. didn't think they were, and obviously they were. But they have satellite technology; they have the technology to surely realize what was going on to some extent, but they seemed oblivious to it. And now they're starting to go, hang on. China's got this technology. Well, as I said to you before we came on air, Russia's currently showcasing technology, making out it's to the world, oh, we're, we're testing it. They've been using this technology sometimes for 10, 15, and 20 years. They're just playing games and running rings around the West in the browser. And, and it's now got to the point, I don't think anyone quite knows what technology is new, what technology is old. And, but they're just doing it because, as we go back to the point, the first of... March Putin's speech to lawmakers in Russia was was a seismic moment in the event-driven scenario where they said, Russia going to start to tell the world things we've got. And and the West, of course, and, and the Pentagon went into a tailspin. They were, were panic-stricken because suddenly Russia's admitting to things. But as ever, they admit to things that, you know, it's like saying, well, the S-500's in development. No, the S-500's fully tested and working. They uti they've utilized it in places like Syria, for example. So, again, it's another example of uh, where, you know, people take everything at face value with the Chinese and the Russians. And, that, and they're, of course, they're always going to understate their capabilities, rather unlike the U.S., which te has tended to overstate its military capabilities and try to convince the world the F-35s, this wonderful uh, fighter jet and we know it's had we're not going to go into that in any detail but we know the serious problems they've had in its development but the report sort of goes on about about the Chinese that it's you know expanded its bomber operating areas and etc etc it's gained critical experience in maritime regions and this is one of the the things they've got fearful of in the South China Sea because suddenly they're now actually the reality is they're going well, do you know what? We, we're actually probably sitting ducks for the Chinese in the South China Sea now. And that's why there's been this, been this big push to try and force the Chinese out. And the Chinese have just stood there and said, we're not going anywhere. By the way, you're the ones who are going to move and leave, not us. Um, and it, but it's, it's more indicative of this really anti-Chinese sentiment, which all revolves around this futile trade war. It also shows why... Um, the U.S. has been extremely antagonistic towards China, not just the trade war is one thing, but the whole sort of debacle with Taiwan and doing everything to antagonize the Chinese in the process. It's simply uh, all more and more just a futile exercise, and it's very damaging to the U.S. in the process. And it's not some 
grand game that's being played between Trump and Xi. Far from it. And we've long since gone past any credibility attached to that idea because it's hurting. You know, they've, they've hurt the Chinese economy, as we've said. Or tried to, and they're largely they're not going to succeed. And ultimately, the backlash on the U.S. economy is going to be far stronger. But it's one thing playing a trade war, but then deliberately trying to antagonize antagonize uh, China in the South China Sea, and also with respect to Taiwan, are just two examples of, for me, that is just farcical and totally illogical uh, foreign policy. Um, yeah. And you know, at, at some point, and this, but this sort of uh, sort of xenophobic attitude now is also very damaging to the US on the world stage because every nation's looking at it going, oh, come on, let, let's be realistic. China is never going to launch a military uh, attack against uh, Washington. There's, I mean, there's no, no one on this planet can seriously suggest that. So whatever the rationale is and the reasoning behind the Pentagon doing it, it just damages the US's credibility on the world stage. And, and I think that's really important that that gets addressed because it's something the Trump administration is succeeding in doing. Now there can be reasons for doing that. And you know, I'm not going to get into the, the 12D chess scenario, but I think picking, picking an argument with China, and particularly when in a matter of days they're supposed to be convening on these trade talks to try and resolve it. It's just, I mean, these are the sort of things China's going to sit there and go, well, if that's your attitude, what's the point in even coming to Washington and having a discussion? And already in that regard, Trump's basically said, well, if you don't do what we want 100%, then we're not having any trade talks. Well, now that's not how you do business with, in, on a world stage. You might be able to bully someone in, a, in a, a sort of commerce and trade sense, but you don't try and bully China on a world stage and expect them to, to acquiesce because they're not going to do that. Yeah, and here's the thing that people have to understand, Paul, is that the the the, the shift has occurred, and and you now we're witnessing the Pentagon, you know, coordinate with the media uh, to build to instill this sense of fear into Americans and regarding Russia and China. But I don't think people are buying it, Paul. I think people are finally waking up to understand, and this is why, again, and you know, we don't have to go into a conversation about it. Why there is an attempt to shut down any type of counter opinions and counter narratives. So literally now China and Russia is is now the new, you know, ISIS and new Al Qaeda. You know, we need to fear because they're 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 ready to attack our shores and, you know, be on the lookout. And this 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 phobia that they're creating and they do this, you know, time and time again. It's the same playbook. I understand why uh, uh, Zero Hedge, you know, pick this up. You know, they've got a report on this. Um, hopefully they they. You know, again, I think there should be some type of disclaimer <laughs> anytime that we see this information coming out from the Pentagon. But I, I you know, I, I completely agree with you. I think Syria and that attempted airstrike uh, where they were able to shoot uh, the majority of those missiles completely out of the sky and some reported not even being able to function properly. Uh, that really made a lot of people nervous. Uh, and, and they're like questioning the abilities, uh, technology advances of Russia, of China. And, and we know firsthand how disruptive that Russia and China was to, to Syria. And now we're starting to witness a little bit of, of that again in regards to the U.S.'s attempts for regime change in Iran as well, Paul. 
Yeah, and that's been another sort of serious problem because we know from that we don't need to labour the Iranian uh, question too much, but we've said it many times that China economically is back will backstop uh, Iran and Russia will militarily, and you know picking picking this whole uh, battle with with Iran, and then unfortunately it's been framed in such a way that. You know, too many people, from my perspective, are seeing this as a victory against the cabal to get rid of uh, the, you know, the government in Tehran, when history shows quite clearly, way before any of this idea came into existence, how many decades was have the cabal been trying to do exactly this same thing? So we're suddenly supposed to believe it's a completely different reason for doing it. Absolutely not. And the question everyone should be asking is, why is China? Why is Russia? Why is Turkey? Why is all of Europe? Why is nearly every nation on the planet? Okay, some, some companies are buckled and they're terrified of US sanctions, but the general consensus is we're going to back Iran and so on. I mean, the question is, you know, people need to say, okay, why is this happening? And okay, you may think, well, Europe's still controlled by the cabal. That's why they're doing it. But why do you think China and Russia are doing it? And, and it is doing nothing to, to further relations between the, between the US and China and Russia in the process. And it is deeply angering China and Russia what is going on in Iraq because walking away from the JCPOA, I think the, the truth is the Trump administration went, oh, Iran will just capitulate in five minutes. They'll be begging us to, to renegotiate the JCPOA and we'll look really strong on, on a world stage. And Iran have just said, we're not doing that. And history has shown when is Iran buckled? Never. Why does it need to buckle? It doesn't. It has, and now, of course, the world's a very different place from the last four decades because the multipolar world is, is alive and well, and Iran now has the support of nations that previously would never have had, not, not from a lack of, of will, but a lack of capability to actually enforce that. And this is what's happening. The, the blueprint was laid down with Russia back in 2014 when the US decided we're going to try and we're going to economically cripple Russia. And of course, they failed. And all they did was encourage Russia to say, well, OK, you want us to de-dollarize? Great, we'll de-dollarize because in the end, you're going to kill, you know, the golden goose, so to speak. And that's and every nation is just following that now going, OK, well, if that's you. Your, your idea for to try and uh, dictate and dominate and impose US hegemony. We'll just do exactly what you want us to do. But in the end, it's going to blow up in your face in the process. And yes, there are the world's different now and there are different reasons why things are probably happening to some extent. But ultimately, it's very da uh, damaging to the US to follow this policy. I mean, yeah, they may not agree with the JCPOA, but I think a lot of it was because of, it was an Obama administration policy, and it was seen. Well, we have to be, we have to be seen to to destroy everything Obama ever did. And I'm no fan of Obama, and I think the Obama administration was an abysmal failure by and large. But the JCPOA was one of the few things it did that actually was pretty. They had some benefit, and but walking away from it was farcical and. Uh, I just think they sorely misjudged the world's response to this. And having not learned that lesson, it, they, they keep proceeding with doing the same things. I mean, yes, the, there are undoubtedly problems in nations like Iran. 
But Iran will sort its own problems out. The last thing you're going to do, if, if you really want to, if you've got an issue with the Tehran government, don't start showing the Iranian people that you're trying to economically wreck the country because even if it was the most evil dictatorship on the planet, the people are going to go, hang on, you're attacking our country. We're going to galvanize behind our government because and they, they, you know, Tehran can use it as great propaganda to say, well, you're actually attacking our country. And the people go, yes, the US is attacking our country. So if they really think they're appealing to the Iranian people. They're not. And there's a huge amount of Western propaganda to try and convince us all that the Iranians are all foaming at the mouth. They want the end of Tehran government and Tehran government's going to collapse. These are all just Western stooges telling us stories that bear no relation to reality of what's going on inside Tehran and inside Iran as a whole. Right. And that's another huge problem. And, um, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, there seems to be this idea that everything, there's ideas being put about that this is why the Trump administration's doing things. And it's completely skewing people's perception of the reality of what's unfolding. And I have very serious concerns about that because, you know, here's the point. If things unfold in a certain way in the future, as we anticipate they may do, or we more or less understand that's how it's going to work, at some point this could all backfire on Trump in a very bad way and the people in America are going to go, hang on. We thought this was going to happen. This is why this was happening. And the Trump, well, you didn't deliver on this. This didn't turn out how we think. It's like the idea, you know, the U.S. will solve all its problems internally. Yes, eventually, of course, it will. We're going to keep the dollar. The dollar's going to survive. We're not going to have any of these economic problems. It's, there's no issue. And, everyone, and there's a large amount of people who are believing that. Well, when that doesn't happen from, from a dollar economic standpoint, what's the backlash going to be with respect to Trump? And ultimately, it's shooting the U.S. in the foot. Why, if this happens to Trump, because Trump at the moment is far and away the U.S.'s best hope of solving any of its major internal problems with the deep state cabal. And the risk is this will all end up having a negative effect and be damaging to Trump. And ultimately, that's damaging to the future prospects of the U.S. And that's why I have concerns about uh, the idea that certain events are happening for certain reasons. I think there needs to be a more objective standpoint that says, well, let's be realistic what the future holds. And this is something, one of the subjects we've got with coming up, we're actually, let's park that for now because one of the subjects was this looming economic, you know, debt crisis in the world. So maybe we can tie all that in. But yeah. the truth is that that is my concern is that there's an expectation being levied at the American people. People are buying it if it doesn't turn out that way. They're going to turn around and go, hang on, Trump didn't deliver this. And, you know, people can be very fickle. They could turn around and say, oh, you failed to do this. We're not going to support you anymore. And ultimately, Trump is, you know, trying to do everything he possibly can to affect the end of the deep state cabal in the U.S. Yes, I think some of his foreign policy is questionable, and I've criticized it. And that's largely because of the overarching influence of neocons in his administration, who are anything but pro the US. They come out with all this faux patriotism that they care about the American people. They don't give a damn about the American people. They give a damn about their own desire for US hegemony and to conquer the world. They're not interested, but they, they you know, it's like the war on terror in, 
after 9-11 and, and Bush comes out and everyone thinks it's for you. Oh, he cares so much about the US. That's why he's doing it. Absolutely not. There was no, no intention to do it. It was to use that faux patriotism to justify wars in the world that were completely unjustifiable. And everyone knows that now. But the US spent, I mean, spending trillions is one thing. But I don't, you know, money's money, but the loss of innocent lives and people in the military who sacrifice their lives for nothing is far more of a concern to me. And then all the people who went there have come back with PTSD and, and who knows what else. And there's no support for them, as you said rightly, and it happens in, in the UK as well. People in the military will often come out, they end up homeless. They have no life, they're given no support. So there's a lot of uh, victims who haven't just lost their lives but have paid a big price because of what they saw in a war that should never have happened. And that's yeah. why I say I, I make these points very strongly because I, I do fear this is a, there's a risk that this could blow up in this manner and it will be ultimately very detrimental to the U.S. as a whole. And that's what I care about. It's winning little battles and, and, and propaganda wars achieves nothing. There has to be a more tangible goal which I don't doubt Trump's trying to achieve, but I think there needs to be a much more married, expect, managed story expectation of what is actually unfolding with respect to the dollar and say, okay, look, there are these huge problems and we're going to have to face some pain to get through it. But these are the reasons why we have to do it. But I get a lot of people lef uh, sort of leveraging at me. Well, you know, I'm sorry, this is nonsense. You know, the dollar's not going to die or, or, oh, no, there's, there's a solution to this. The, you know, the dollars might collapse, but, oh, don't worry, there's, there's all this gold that doesn't exist, but, no, actually, it does exist. And there's all these amazing solutions that's going to solve the U.S. debt crisis. Well, there isn't. Well, it, we'll put it this way. If there is, they, nobody's aware of them. Now, <laughs> you, can argue, you can argue that someone might pull a huge rabbit out of a hat somewhere. But then we've heard a lot of these rabbits that are going to be pulled out of hats for many years and none of them have come to fruition. I mean, well, I'd know, be very happy if there was an amazing solution to the U.S. Uh, debt problem because it would solve a huge amount of problems for the U.S., but in the process solve massive problems for the world in general. So we're all for hoping that that is the case, but you can't live on the expectation of hope. And, and I think that's the problem. A lot of people have got a hope and a belief in something that isn't reality. Paul, we were warned about this efforts. We were warned about this literally 12 years ago and everyone can Google it. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with it, but when you go back and you Google General Wesley Clark and Paul, you probably have listened to this audio portion when he's specifically uh, talking about some of his meetings that he had and he was going in and they were, he was meeting with another general and they're like, sit down, we got some news to share. You know, we're we're gonna go, we're gonna bomb, you know, Iraq. And he's like, Well, well, well that's great. Did we find out that they had something to do with 9-11 with Afghanistan? No, uh, no, we didn't, but we are we're gonna bomb Iraq. And and in fact, we're gonna bomb seven other countries while we're there too, <laughs> with Iran being the end game. So yeah, so and you yeah. mentioned some valid points in regards to Obama. So what we are seeing and witnessing is a policy that was drafted 12 years ago that is a continuation of the Bush doctrine, the Council of Foreign Relations and their interventions. We all know that Iran was the, the target originally because, correct me if I'm wrong here, Paul, but Iran has gained significant you know, influence. Iran has specifically been working hand in hand with Iraq in regards to their oil and even 
even selling of their oil, purchasing their oil from them, their efforts in in Syria. And 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 I don't I want to be real careful because I don't want to get labeled as un-American because you know that's what's gonna happen. We're like, you're not you're not a patriot, you don't you don't support our military, who you know, all this kind of stuff. But I mean what I I what I don't trust is the 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 politicians that are making these decisions, the these decisions that are based upon the expansion of the military industrial complex in the Middle East. That is my fear, and that's what people have to understand. So when we see this propaganda that you know, you know that you know that China is preparing to you know put their their supersonic bombers over U.S. skies. So you know, be all this propaganda that comes out, and now we're witnessing firsthand what's happening with a NATO member like Turkey, and we're witnessing a major shift in alliances that are that are occurring. Uh, it, it's pretty eye opening. And then also, there's speculations now that Angela Merkel is all not that I'm an Angela Merkel fan, but also that she is pivoting also more towards towards Russia and away from the United States, Paul? Well, I mean, how long have I... I mean, I think we've spoken maybe even the first time I was on Rogue News, but I've spoken about it a long time before that, that a pivotal aspect in the destruction, apart from the death of the of the dollar, the biggest pivotal change is the Eurasian axis, and I've co- I coined it the Berlin-Moscow-Beijing axis. That's the backbone of the multipolar world. And it effectively straddles from Lisbon in the West in Portugal to Vladivostok in the East and everything in between and North and South. But a very pivotal aspect of that, of course, is Iran as well. And the rebirth of Persia, and I've written countless articles and people can look on the website, we've talked about this countless times, is a, is a key facet of that Eurasian axis. And in the process, it will change uh, the whole map of, of the Middle East. And we have, by virtue of cabal action, we've seen old, you know, new alliances born and old, a lot of mistrust in that region has is, is disappeared. We've seen, you know, how long ago was the cabal-induced Iran-Iraq war? Now we see Iran and Iraq are working as allies together. And Iraq has been, Iran has been supporting uh, Iraq in getting rid of, well, is it Al-Qaeda, Dacian, who knows, what other names, you know, the, these organizations exist under. But we've also seen how we had the failed coup in Turkey. And that changed. That was a seismic change where it saw suddenly nations such as Iran and Turkey talking to each other and Turkey and Russia and China. And it changed the whole emphasis of, of the Middle East. But it's a sure sign of absolute desperation from a cabal perspective that they're, they're seriously trying to stick it to the Iranians now. And as you said, Wesley Clark said it. If anyone wants to check it out, check it out. So tell me what's different from then to what's being said now. I mean, I, I, I don't see how it's any different just because during a different administration, someone said something, but now, oh, no, it's totally different now. It's not what it was. It's not what it used to be. We're getting rid of um, of the. We want to get rid of the mullahs out of uh, Iran. We want to get rid of the Iranian government and overthrow it. Well, the West that the West are desperate for that. No one else in the world wants it, and everyone knows what it is and what the reality of it means. And and there isn't anything different in that regard. But yes, the the alliances that are forming the world have changed the whole shape, and this is why. This whole Eurasian backbone, this whole Eurasian axis is critical to the future prospects of the world. And, you know, I often get people saying to me, well, you know, I'm an American. What's 
what's going on in the Middle East got to do, you know, specifically with me? How is it? Well, it ultimately is having a huge influence on the future of the U.S. in the process because because of all this big, huge shift and because of all these new alliances and because of the de-dollarization process, all these events are significantly going to impact the U.S. in the future to varying degrees, not just economically, but in terms of relations, in terms of uh, geopolitics. So that's why it is all hugely important. It doesn't mean that internal events in the U.S. aren't important, and it's absolutely critical for Trump to get rid of the cabal deep state. And I said from the day he was elected, his sole purpose is to take a wrecking ball to the cabal. That's what his job is, and he and he's doing everything in his power to do that, despite having sometimes his hands tied behind his back by Mueller investigations and you know and countless other internal problems. Not, I mean, people think the Democrats are a problem. He's got problems on the Republican side, where they're causing they've caused mayhem and thwarted his ability to do things. He's got people within his administration who are doing everything to thwart his progress to tackle international problems too i mean of that it's absolutely clear he goes to to north korea or to singapore meets kim jong-un has discussions and then and all of a sudden the whole process is now being subverted and and the truth is a lot of the momentum from trump's side's gone and really ultimately everything that's unfolding now if you look at all the developments it's china it's russia it's south korea it's japan it's not the U.S. The U.S. is not having any say in anything that's really happening in North Korea at this point in time. And, and I'm not attacking the U.S. I'm just being bl brutally honest about what's going on. And, and I think that we've come to a point where that brutal honesty and reality, everybody needs to face it. I know people might not necessarily want to hear this, and sometimes people get very upset when I say it, but I'm not saying it because I'm attacking the US, I'm saying it because this is a major problem. And I want it to be dealt with before it gets out of hand and causes even more damage to the US in the process. Because, you know, it's very easy. I could just say, well, what's, who cares? You, I'll just agree with this consensus because a lot more people are going to follow me, a lot more people are going to subscribe to me, and a lot more people are going to like what I'm saying. But then I'm not being true to the reality of what's happening. And the truth is the U.S. has big problems it, um, externally as well as internally. And, you know, if this narrative is being shaped to convince everyone that, you know, I mean, you know, I have people contacting me going, oh, I'm hearing there's going to be these big, huge changes in the next few days. No, there isn't going to be big, huge changes in the next few days. There probably isn't going to be any big, huge changes in that regard. It could. Well, it might happen this year. Who knows? It may not happen till next year. It may not happen till 2020. There is no time scale put on this. And people need to ask themselves, how many times do they keep being told, oh, this is going to happen in a few weeks? No, next month, next year, no, November, whatever. And it never happens. And people oh, need to stop oh, saying, you know. It's actually this Saturday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You. Go, ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go oh, that's going, to wreck my, that's going to wreck my weekend. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, there's a reality to, you know, the, I think people need to start saying to themselves, look, you know, let's look at the, the track record of people saying what's happening and how that's actually unfolding, as opposed to people who just keep making empty promises that don't deliver anything. You know, 
yes, there is there is a risk. We don't know. I don't know when. You know, I get told. I've heard dates. I mean, to be honest, I got told two or three dates of this year when, or not dates, but periods in the year when things might happen. And I went, well, I'm not going to discuss that because I can guarantee more than likely it won't happen. And it hasn't happened because it's not time-driven. It's event-driven. I know people get sick to death of me saying that, but I say it because that's the reality. And there are, there are, you know, there are dominoes flipping all the time. And ultimately, there will be some dominoes that will flip and that will you know, bring about this change. But I have people saying to me, well, you know, when's the global currency reset happening? What global currency reset? That's not what the reset's about. The reset's been happening now for about two years. All these things we talk about are part of the reset. The reset's not, you know, there's a certain culmination of, of types of events that will be a big indication that some big, huge dominoes flip. But there isn't, there isn't just one single event that is a re part of the reset. The reset is, is the death of the dollar. That's part of it. The other, one other part is the reestablishment of sound monetary policy with gold, silver. Part of the future is asset-backed cryptocurrencies. Boy, did the amount of stick and grief I took for daring to question Bitcoin and saying Bitcoin's going to blow up once, as soon as you have paper contracts, the price of Bitcoin is going to get smashed to pieces. It went from 22, 21,000. It's around six, six and a half at the moment. That's exactly what we said. And I got a load of grief for saying it, but it's proved to be true. And that's what we're here to do. Give reality. There's people I know who acted on that reality, got out, and were very glad they did because yeah. they've saved themselves a fortune and made a large amount of profit in the process. Now, I'm not saying people, I'm not here to make financial predictions and that's not what i'm doing i'm not in any way shape or form pretending to do that but we say harsh realities because we know it's going to happen and you know experiences told me with the gold and silver markets what what the damage is done by by the paper market so it was inevitable as soon as someone can trade bitcoin in paper market they're going to dictate the price they're going to drive the price whichever way they want and it was inevitable they were going to smash the price and now what do we see well, you know, everyone's being convinced, get out of gold and silver, they're barbarous relics, sell, silver's going to crash to this, gold's going to crash to this. And someone told me, I can't confirm it, that there was that major news outlets are trying to tell people to buy Bitcoin now. I don't know whether that's true. I've not heard it myself. But, you know, and, and then once again, you know, so people are being scared out of the future of monetary policy, which is gold and silver and asset-backed cryptocurrencies. They're going to be the backbone of the new financial system. That's part of the reset. And yet at some point there will be a reset in the gold and silver price. What exactly it is, I don't know. And really, I don't at this point particularly care about that. But if you want to preserve your wealth, look at ways of preserving it. And if anyone says to me the dollar's going to survive, well, why is its purchasing power being decimated? Even in the last 10 years, the last 20, you know, the last 100 years, it's worth nothing. So if you think there's that the dollar's got a future, well, ask yourself why why its purchasing power is decimated. Because it isn't. Because fiat currencies will owe, and particularly world reserve currencies have a finite lifespan. The dollar's overextended its finite lifespan. It really effectively collapsed in two thousand and eight. But they're keeping it in the ICU and keep trying to resuscitate it 
because they know once that's gone, it's game over for the cabal. So if you want the dollar to survive, well, don't expect the cabal to go anytime soon. They're going to be here for as long as the dollar survives. So if you want the dollar to survive, don't expect the cabal to disappear. You're stuck with them in perpetuity. But the reality is the dollar's going to die. The cabal's going to go with them. And the world can get on and de-dollarize, not have any more U.S. cabal hegemony. And the world can start to become a prosperous place because as soon as nations de-dollarize and get off U.S. hegemony, their whole economic prospects improve massively. And if you don't believe me, look at what's happened in Russia since 2014, 2015. There's your your greatest example of economic reality and what Russia has done in that regard to change their whole economic prospects around. And they can thank the cabal, of course, for doing that. You know, it took a bit of intervention from Putin to actually make that happen in, in terms of Russian central bank policy. But they've achieved it. The Russian economy is a lot stronger than it used to be, despite all the sanctions. Imagine if there weren't any sanctions, just how much stronger again, potentially the US, uh, the Russian economy could have been. OK, they've diver, you know, diversified and, and divested out of dollars and, and reshaped the whole economic model and in terms of bilateral trade as well. So they've offset a lot of that, but it would have been even stronger. So these are realities and we have to face them. And it, because not facing them isn't going to change the outcome. The reality is going to be the same. So I think it's far better, no matter what challenges you have to face, that you accept them and say, okay, what can I do to mitigate those problems and what can I do to deal with them? Yeah. Paul, what you Otherwise, said... Yeah. 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 No, no. What you said is very, you know, what you said is very important. And in my, in my opinion, I, I, you know, people really get attached to their their belief systems, and there, there's only so much that you can either influence or or, or work to change a, a person's mind. You know, unfortunately, in today's society, we we have lost the ability to really openly debate and discuss these things without getting labeled something right like oh you know you're a racist or you know you're a socialist you know we, we we're really quick to come up with labels we've lost that ability so i think here's what's important to to me for our listeners is that that you 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 keep an open mind into different ideas different perspectives and then you have to evaluate those for yourself and and for your family to determine you know what what what's right for you and, and, and I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm very much the same way. Like once I believe something or I'm convinced of it, 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 someone has to work really hard to change my perspective about things. But that's just, I think that's just part of human nature. So what you said was just very important is to assess things that are truly happening. The reality, taking a look at history. We know that monetary systems in regards to reserve currencies don't last forever. We know that the dollar has been abused, severely abused the last several years. We know that we are debt-ridden society, not only society, but globally. Let's let's not fool ourselves. The only way to truly make America great again is to take apart these systems and, and, and everything from taking a, the chopping block to the federal government and, and creating new systems. But what's more important is that we assess that these need, these new systems belong to we, the people, and not not the federal government and and not to these 1% people because if we allow them to create and design and to own the new systems as a flip board 
it's just going to be a, a continuation of something something they're going to they're they're going to disguise as something new but it's truly not paul no exactly and, it, and it, you know in a very simple terms in literally a one sentence you know the us is in the mess it's in now precisely because of the dollar so if you think the dollar's going to survive and that's going to disappear and be rectified then please get in touch and explain to me how that's possible because I'm all ears I'm all prepared to listen to to arguments but that is it in a nutshell that's you know that's the US dollar sort of in, in very simple terms it's the mechanism that the cabal has used to wreak havoc across the world it's the mechanism that's caused the US to be debt ridden it's the mechanism that causes all the internal problems in the US and people want to believe that that's going to survive and somehow the cabal goes away and the US and the US will be thriving and prosper it's not there's there's no logical reason to believe that so on that basis the argument is okay if the dollar's got to go which uh, then what is going to replace it and let's let me let's be realistic about what the future holds I think in that the US will go through a period it will be very challenging not the US exclusively by any stretch of the imagination the UK is going to go through the same thing and large parts of the world will have to go through the same process but eventually the US will come out the other side because there's an indomitable spirit for me that, that there's a backbone in the US that will drag the country through the opposite side it will make America the great nation that I and countless billions of other people across the world want to see, but one that's free of U.S. hegemony, it's free of the U.S. dollar, and it's free of the U.S. cabal influence across the globe. And when that happens, the world will, will be a very happy place to see the U.S. take its place as, as a strong, vibrant nation that can, can resolve problems because there's great talent, there's great ability in American people. They have huge innovative capability and if you galvanize all that it you know it the, the future will be will be a very great one for for america and i don't doubt you know there's people in russia want it people in china they don't have any hostility to the american people but they are absolutely sick of a of a covert deep state cabal government the government that's controlled the u.s for decades and beyond that has no interest in doing anything to benefit the american people it's all self-serving but they very cleverly sell it as well we we you know we love and care for america we're patriots and we're doing everything to help the american people they've never done anything to help the american people they've done everything to leech everything they can out of the american system to to encourage you know huge spending via the military industrial complex which has allowed them to make massive profit at the expense of us taxpayers that's ultimately you, know, you can argue exactly where the source of money comes from but ultimately the us nation has suffered and what are we seeing as a result of it i mean there's you know you're seeing i mean there's one topic we were going to discover and maybe it's it might be yeah, a, a little bit of bit of a tenuous link to bring it in but it's the opioid crisis hey, paul real quick which talks no, about I, the, you, know. I, I, you know you nailed it you said some very important important things and 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 i i completely agree with you you know that era that era of peace and and prosperity 
uh, for for humanity globally. That's what we want. And I promise everyone, I haven't been popping too many CBDs or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, the era of peace and prosperity for humanity. Uh, to you know, there's there's a, a lot of hurt in the world, and 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 I was looking forward to to making a difference and and going after those things. And and what you said is so true. And I, I appreciate what you, that what you said about about Americans and that American spirit that's that's alive and 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 doing well. Uh, but the sooner that we start focusing on who the true enemy at the gate is, the sooner that we'll be able to achieve that. And you said something very important as well, is it in regards to taking a look specifically on the money and controlling the money and how that worked. And this is a perfect example of that, Paul, specifically talking about the opioid crisis gripping America right now. Yeah, I mean, those statistics that came out, there was a report that came out. I think I... I, I sort of saw it in passing on Twitter and, uh, and I sent you the link last night and said, you know, it's something we, you know, we need to look at and discuss because the report came out, I presume it's not just on Bloomberg, but it said, you know, the opioid epidemic contributed to a record, well, 71,500 deaths last year in 2017 in America, and it was an increase of 6.6%. I mean, who knows, the figure's probably significantly greater because they're only recorded. How many deaths are not recorded? Or, you know, maybe people aren't aware that the death was caused by opiate, you know, addiction. Or we don't really know. And it refers to three states, North Carolina, Nebraska, and New Jersey saw a 20% jump or more in drug overdose, overdose deaths. And, and then it lists a whole bunch of statistics, which, you know, people can go and check out themselves. But... It's an underlying enormous problem. And it doesn't just exist in, in the US, it exists all over the Western world. The UK has huge drug problems, drug deaths, and it's not just, a, you know, it's associated with all manner. It's not just obvious things like heroin, cocaine. A lot of it can be, um, you know, people are on methadone. There's been huge deaths from uh, methadone as well, usage. And the list goes on and on. And this is symptomatic. Of, of a society and, a, and a, a Western society that has some huge problems that it's not addressing. And this is why it's all well and good of sitting there and going, well, if we get rid of the cabal and it's going to sort, yeah, but is it, what's it going to do to sort these problems out? These problems are not going to get addressed by removing the cabal. Yes, there's the whole issue of big pharma and big pharma is going to go through a drastic change. And it's something we've spoken about before. And the whole sort of way of treating people is going to change. And, you know, you've, you've got a great uh, business line with the CBD stuff, and that proves the, the, you know, the medicinal benefits of that. That is completely understated. And there's people in the, in, across the world that have paid with their lives for daring to question conventional medicine. But that's a separate discussion for another time, perhaps. But there is seriously, obviously, this huge opioid epidemic. And, there's no evidence that it's decreasing. I mean, you only have to look at the, you know, the number of recorded deaths has gone up by about 50% in three years. So, so it's a massive, massive problem that's spiraling out of control. And I don't want to just focus and, and say it's a US problem because it's absolutely not. It's a problem that exists in many parts of the world. And it's something that needs to be addressed and dealt with. But the question is, why? what is the reasoning? Why have people become this way? Well, sometimes it can be for medical reasons, but it, it's often indicative of a society that, you know, those people become disaffected, they turn to drugs to try and, you know, and it can be because of the life they've had. We, we talked about 
you know, the whole business with the abuse by the Catholic Church. There's people who turn to drugs for that reason because they're trying to you know, bury pain in their lives that they can't deal with. But these are huge fundamental societal problems that aren't going to go away. And, and in fact, the risk is that when we go through this huge change and, and this huge sort of paradigm shift comes to, to a conclusion, we're going to see a lot more people with opioid problems and turning to drugs because they're not going to be able to cope with the, the big changes that are going to happen because their comfort zone in the world they believe to be true and real is going to be, you know, ripped out from under them. And that what's what are they going to turn to to try and deal with the, the fallout of that? So the risk is that it's going to be an ever-increasing problem. And there's many things that need to be done to address that, not just how, how pharmaceutical companies uh, should actually conduct their business, but also how the medical profession deals with things and how society as a whole treats people with opioid addiction. And also, how do we go about, in a societal sense, to try and address the problems that are causing this and why people turn to them in the first place? So it's a massive, massive problem that's clearly still spiraling out of control. And you know, for me, I think it's it's an important aspect of things that no one's really even began to to address. So, and and maybe that's because simply there isn't enough, you know. Bandwidth at this point to apps to, to know how to address this, but at some point it's a big problem that's going to have to be addressed. Yeah, we we want to we want to pat ourselves on the back because we we can throw more money at it, Paul. That's 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 what our legislatures want to do. We want to we want to pat ourselves on the back and say, look, look at this look at this billion dollar funding that we're throwing at all these clinics and these treatment centers because we we feel good about that decision. We we don't want to face the tough decision. We don't look at the the root cause analysis and then and then determine best outcomes and and when you look at this manufactured crisis and I call it manufactured crisis for a reason is because we know that this was a completely manufactured uh, addiction based upon the marriage of of big pharma and the government where the federal government the DEA you know pretty much I mean it's a, probably a whole show conversation where they systematically signed off on on quadrupling the supply of these opioids available in the open market. You know, I spent 15 years in the big pharma industry, uh, firsthand witnessed the addiction that took over the amount of pharmacy robberies where people were coming in and robbing the pharmacies just to get the Oxycontin, get these drugs out. This is a complete manufactured thing. And a lot of these drugs, Paul, they're so strong. They were intended solely for, you know, life ending uh, hospice type scenarios for end of life you know, treatment, they were never intended for recreational, not recreational, but for pain management, you know, that, oh, you, you know, you, you came out of back surgery, you know, here's, you know, here's a prescription. Uh, this is a true story. Uh, last, uh, was it last October, the October before, you know, I actually had a pretty uh, significant uh, surgery. And, and I purposely, I told the doctors, I said, you know, I don't want in opioids, I don't want any that I want just strictly over the counter, give me Advil, give me Tylenol, uh, I'll get my CBDs once I get home <laughs> for my pain management. Yeah. Lo and behold, Paul, whenever they're, I'm signing out of the hospital, you want to know what, what what prescription was actually in my in my prescription bag that they gave me? It, it, it was for OxyContin. It was for a, 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 a medication. When I specifically asked not to have it, they're handing these things out like candy, Paul, like candy. And they yeah. wonder why this is happening. It's a failure of accountability. I know there's a lot of states that have, it's something I'm very passionate about. There's a lot of states that have 
uh, launched legislation or launched lawsuits against these manufacturers, uh, creating this crisis. You know, I, I really take it really burns me that the governments are counting on the American taxpayer to bail out the big pharma industry that created this issue, the medical industry that created this issue with this 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 addiction crisis that was completely manufactured by by big pharma and by overprescribing. I mean, it, it truly is, and they're they're the ones that should be footing the bill for the majority of this. Not not my family, and not everyone other listeners on this with our tax money, Paul. Absolutely, and you know what? It, I mean, I totally agree, and it galls me. Um, it, it, exactly the same. I do. It really, and oh, I, I can't describe how much it it annoys me to see Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should. Maybe we should join him sometime and let rip. <laughs> but, but you know, the the truth is, of course, what caused all this whole whole sort of opioid addiction was the U.S. went in to Afghanistan and what happened was a massive increase from that point in time in opioids entering the US uh, system and what have we seen opiate addiction has gone through the roof since that point that was a deliberate intention for the cabal to use the excuse of oh well we need to go into Afghanistan it was all because if you look back the US economy was after the sort of um, dot com bubble blew up the U.S. economy was floundering. Look at the statistics after the U.S. went into Afghanistan and what happened to the U.S. economy. It was buoyed by narco money. It was buoyed by a narco trade. And what did they do? They exported it back to the U.S. And, and then the intention was to get as many people hooked on opioids as possible. Why? Because it's big money for the drug cartels. It's big money for pharma. And that, and, you know, and that was part of the big plan to go and invade all these countries, such as Iran. It was part, I mean, that was, that was the whole, one of the big basis for this war on fictional terror. So they could go into any country on the planet and do what they want. And that was one of the big reasons to go into Afghanistan, because it has a huge, you know, opium trade, which actually, ironically, the very people they were trying to accuse of, uh, of, of <laughs> trying to remove were the people trying to destroy the poppy trade burning, in, burning in Afghanistan <laughs> and burning the fields. And we've all seen those iconic uh, pictures of, of well not just necessarily us but nato personnel guarding poppy fields that they're not fake they're real and this is another contributory factor to a to a major epidemic that spread not just in the us but across europe because of course the narco drug lines don't just end up in the us they end up all over western europe and elsewhere for that matter and that was a deliberate intent why because that shows how little and utter contempt these are the people who say we did the war on terror because we're, we're, we're patriots and we care so much about the American people. That shows how much they care about the American people. They've driven who knows how many people, never mind how many people have died because of deaths, how many people are addicted and on opiates or, and have drug addiction and drug problems, and how many people who have members of family involved in that have had their lives wrecked or severely impaired as a result of it so what's the extent of this damage it's enormous and yeah you're absolutely right that it's a huge societal problem that's going to have to be dealt with and at the moment for whatever reason no one seems to be seriously trying to to address it there's a lot of people who are trying but it's very very difficult until you get big pharma reined in until you start to get a serious 
um, policy making decision in how we go about addressing it. I mean, the first thing for me, and, and I have to admit, many, many, many years ago, I had this very stupid view of how you handle drug problems. And I was always, yeah, we need to outlaw drugs. And I went, got up one day and went, well, that's a ridiculous viewpoint to have. How, how utterly myopic can you be, Paul, to think that? And I'm happy to admit that's, you know, I was wrong. I mean, it is a long time ago, so I was quite young relative. And I went, no, we have to decriminalize it. And that's one of the first ways to try and address the problem. So there are there are enormous issues that need to be dealt with. But this report highlights it's a it's a spiraling problem. And you can no doubt guarantee whatever official figures in inverted commas come out, the problem's infinitely worse than that. And it's not. And it's that's the direct impact as the people who are still, you know, hooked on whatever it might be. And I don't, I've got no way of knowing what those figures are. And I don't think anybody does, but anybody who's had any exposure to that in a family knows that it has a very devastating effect on, on the family members as well, who have to try and either support them or have to cope with, with those problems. So it's an enormous problem that needs to be dealt with. So when people talk about making America great again, well, that's one of the big things that to make America great again there's all these societal problems that are going to have to be dealt with. And it's the same in the UK. We have massive drug problems as well that, that, you know, nobody's actually got any intention of wanting to, uh, to resolve because the end of the day, cabal wants people hooked on drugs because the, the narco industry, who knows what it's worth a trillion dollars a year, maybe oh, more. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's on, they, they don't want to see that gravy train ending because it, it's it's huge profitable uh, business for them, and if they wreck a load of lives in the process, they don't care because the idea is well, there's always going to be someone else will get hooked on 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 drugs, or they'll they you know buy not necessarily even hooked on, they just become through the the awful living standard or the lifestyle they have or the circumstances they turn to drugs, and and they're very happy to see more and more people suckered into that. Spiral, which has devastating effect on the person and the, and everyone that surrounds them. Absolutely, Paul. Let's close it out real quick with a uh, a, a great idea. Someone that completely always taking on bold opinions, uh, taking on bold actions, and that's Senator Rand Paul. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, go to the Liberty Report by uh, Doctor His Dad uh, Ron Paul and listen. It was kind of interesting. He actually interviewed his son, and just the dynamics of that was was pretty darn interesting to watch. <laughs> um, so go listen to that if you get a chance. But uh, Rand Paul is out there now suggesting that we should be granting immunity to Julian Assange in exchange for congressional testimony. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a great idea, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. I, I and that's exactly what needs to happen. And because. We know full well if Assange comes and gives testimony. We know exactly who doesn't want him to give testimony. But again, you know, this comes back to there's a lot of ideas with Assange. I mean, you know, I used to get people contacting me going, well, Assange is free. What, what? No, he's still stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. He's not free. And the question is, if he goes and gives congressional testimony, he has to be given immunity. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise, what's he going to do? Well, the risk is if he leaves... I mean, the chances are even if he leaves the Ecuadorian embassy, how quickly he's going to end up being arrested. I mean, and yeah, and the point the is, part, right? you know, yeah. And the point is, if we're we're serious about um, you know 
someone like him being able to give an opportunity to provide that testimony because let's face it he you know he is going to unleash some serious i mean i'm not going to use the word shit storm for the for, for the people we want to see a shit storm unleashed again then i think it's extremely important that he's given that opportunity and he is given the immunity so yeah i think Rand paul has made a very very sensible intelligent statement and he says you know you know, he says, I think Rand Paul said, I think he's been someone who's released a lot of information and you can debate whether or not any of that has caused harm. But I really think he has information that is per probably pertinent to the hacking of the democratic emails. And that would be nice to hear. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it. But I think he's got a whole bunch more of interesting stuff to, to discuss. But, but I mean, the, the reality is, there are too many vested interests inside uh, the Beltway that don't. <laughs> the last thing they want is Julian Assange having congressional testimony that's going to, well, probably would vaporize the um, the Mueller investigation for starters. Never mind the other damning um, evidence that he's likely to release. But yes, it's a, a very sensible, pragmatic statement, and I think it it absolutely has to happen. But he has to be given that uh, assurance because if he doesn't. I don't think well he'll ever get as far as having um, the opportunity to have congressional uh, hearing well, if no, he isn't and, given that immunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and then remember, you know, we pride ourselves here in America of having uh, this protection. Uh, I don't know what it's called for whistleblowers, right? Whistleblowers who expose, you know, corruption, and everything else like that. So, so it's not like Julian Assange himself uh, hacked into these systems and created these things. He simply created a secure method, a Dropbox a way of people and honestly, you know, submitting this information and sharing it. And then he released it. And I don't think there's been anything to date that Julian Assange has published, Paul, that he's had to redact as as false or not accurate. So if all these mass surveillance programs of the corruption in the DNC, the all this information needs to come out to show specifically, think of how much time and money that Julian Assange could have saved American taxpayers. Think of how much money has been wasted this year on this entire uh, uh, Comey invest, not Comey, what's his name? I just lost my train of thought, Paul, what's Mueller. his name? Yeah, Mueller. Mueller, Mueller, yeah. Mueller. This whole investigation, everything going on, the last two years that we've wasted on this, we could have just asked Julian Assange, says, hey, you know, what what, what what happened here? And given him immunity, and, and again, I think that he should be given a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts of exposing Everything that we already knew, that everyone with the with the uh, the tinfoil hats on, that we already knew this stuff. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is, of course, Congress does have the authorization to grant immunity to witnesses who testify effectively on Capitol Hill. Therefore, prosecutors can't, you know, um, in any way, you know, leverage anything against him. So, you know, he can speak freely. I mean, and there's a good acid test if people really think. You know, there's big changes happening in the U.S. Well, there's a great acid test of it. If Congress says, "Yeah, we'll give Assange immunity," then I'll then that's a great indication that you know the major changes are actually affecting some you know positive outcomes in the U.S. Because we all know if Assange gives testimony, it's going to be a a you know we talk about all the other bombshell moments and things that we feel we're going to have some impact. Let's face it, Assange going testimony to Congress, that, that's going to be the biggest bombshell moment that, mm -hmm. that has happened from, from a U.S. perspective. It will overshadow everything that's happened previously. So, 
yeah, let, you know, let's hope it happens. Am I optimistic it's going to happen? No, no, not at the moment. I mean, because I don't think there's any will in the Congress to make it happen because there's too many people probably in the Congress who directly or indirectly are going, hang on, this is the last thing we need to happen. But if it does, that is, if you want an indication of big progress in the US and all the indications that people keep being told there are these, all these things are happening, that is a big example of a big, a huge change for the, that would certainly for me be a great indication that, yeah, the, the backbone of the deep state's being broken. But that doesn't mean I don't think it's going to be broken. I do. I don't doubt it, but I just don't share the same perspe perspective that other people have that, you know, oh, you know, we're a matter of days or in a week or next month, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. Right. At some point, yeah, the whole thing is going to vaporize and it will be the end of the, the deep state cabal and that they'll be finished. But I, I, But we need to see some solid evidence, not well, Peter Strzok's gone, that's a big indication. No, it's not. It, it's it's, an, it's a, a welcome development, but it's not indication, indicating anything of any significant substance. It needs to be something pretty huge to say, you know, some huge big hitter, not some low you know, uh, hanging fruit in, in a cabal stooge getting prosecuted. <laughs> it needs to be some big player Who's, who's had on the chopping block, who is adjudicated, and the world goes, hang on, then you believe something massive's happening. But at the moment, yeah, I'm not doubting the things that there are things happening. I don't doubt there are sealed indictments. I, I don't doubt any of this. And I, I think it's cause for, for encouragement. But again, it's managing expectations. And, you know, what I, I don't, I mean, I think Rand Paul, maybe he's doing it for that purpose, but, you know, I, I think on that basis, if that came about, it would be a significant development, which w I think would give people a lot of encouragement to say, yes, you know, this is a this is a watershed moment where we're actually starting to see the the deep state cabal dam breaking in, in a major way. And it remains to be seen what's happened. But it's not the only you know, possibility. There are lots of other huge seismic developments which would indicate that, but Thus far, we're not seeing it. I mean, I think the Nunes testimony, I mean, that was pretty significant. It was pretty huge at the time, and everyone thought that was a damn-breaking moment. No one even mentions it anymore. It's like it never. It was never said. Right. And, and, and Nunes was largely seems, I mean, I, I mean, I don't follow everything that happens, but correct me if I'm wrong, but he seems to have sort of gone very quiet in recent weeks and months. I mean, he made he's made huge efforts, and I applaud for, for the things he tried to do, but has it resulted in anything? No. So there's a lot of uh, manana, 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 and but the, at the moment there isn't the substance to back that up. But at some point, I think we will see some substance, and that could happen today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Next month, but let's not get drawn into to believing in dates because dates come and go, and people get frustrated and. The, the worst aspect of that is you try to wake people up to the reality of things. You're trying to say to them, look, there's all these things happening. But yeah, but by the way, we're going to have this event happening in next week, next month. And when it doesn't happen, they just switch off and go, oh, that's a load of rubbish. I'm not going to listen to that anymore. This is just conspiracy theory. Mm. Give people facts, but don't put dates on it and don't and manage their expectations that it's a big, long 
you know, elongated process that will take as long as it takes to resolve, then you keep them engaged. But too many people are pulling dates on things and then people get disinterested, turn off and go, well, nothing's ever going to happen. So I'm not going to listen to that anymore. You'll get a once, you know, you might get a one off opportunity to try and convince people. So use that wisely because I know people who've, who've got frustrated and said, you know, I keep being told dates and things are going to happen. Of course, it doesn't happen. That's why we never put dates on things. We just say, look, these events are going to happen. We're still, and you'll see these events unfolding. And these are, you know, preliminary steps in those events. And this is why they're important. And then eventually it builds up to a point where you know, we said all along there'll never be a war in Korea. And people were going, yeah, practically everyone said, oh, there's definitely going to be a war in Korea. I mean, I have people saying to me, well, you don't know what you're talking about because all these other people are telling us we're definitely having a war in North Korea. I said, well, they'll all be proved to be wrong. And they were proved to be wrong. And that's the basis. It's about getting things right and explaining why and then in the fullness of time things unfold. By doing that, that gives credibility to what we do and makes people go, okay, well, it's not quite what I expect, but yeah, this, this process is evolving. And this is another great example. So let's hope Assange is able to do that but at the moment I'm not optimistic and I think the op I'm not optimistic because I don't think even Assange is necessarily going to to believe that that's a reality although to be fair people have been asked to comment on this and they've not dismissed it but they've just not commented on it but someone comes out and says Congress is going to give him immunity That'll be a wonderful development and uh, something that, you know, gives us a lot of encouragement that we're making more steps forward in terms of this whole process of, as Trump beautifully said, draining the swamp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, thank you so much for joining today. Really appreciate it. Uh, please share your website and then also your social connections and how people can learn more about your wonderful work, please. Well, well, first off, it's a pleasure as ever. I'm glad I was able to sort of fill in well for v in his absence and uh it's always a pleasure to be on road news and uh you know if we can ever come on we'll always glad to do so uh, yeah well it's been a real treat it really has well in terms of the website yeah it's obviously www.theseriousreport.com that's s-i-r-i-u-s we have a twitter presence we have a rapidly diminishing facebook presence i don't we haven't really <laughs> bothered with it and you know to be honest it I don't, I'm not sure it serves any real purpose anymore. But yes, we have the website. There's a lot of free material. And yes, we have the subscri subscription-based podcast, which is $4.75 a month. You get five podcasts equivalent every week. It's uh, around about 100 minutes, and it's very densely packed information, and it's stuff we don't cover anywhere else. And to put it in context, we've done five podcasts a week equivalent for every week of this year, we have not had a single week's break from doing it. Even when we went away and went to places, we still carried on doing it. So we have a strong commitment to do this. And we do it because it's important to get the truth and reality of what's unfolding, even if it's not at times what we want to hear. But I'd rather know the reality rather than believe in something that you know, may ultimately be a reality, but, you know, we need to manage expectations because all of us can get very demoralized very easily. And that's why people have said to me, you know, how do you keep going? Why do you keep doing this? You just don't, you seem unwavered in what you're doing. And it is because I stick to reality. So, and that's the only way if I started to believe in things that weren't, you know, a reality, 
I get quickly very despondent because I go, well, it's not happening. And, and despondency is very contagious in that regard. So we just stick to it. And that's exactly what Rogue News is doing. So at times, equally, we'll discuss things that may not be what people want to hear, but it's a reality. And, you know, for me, without laying the point a million times, that's what we need to, to focus on. And that's what both of us are doing and, and countless other people are doing in the process. And that's why the alternative media is very important because it gives you a realistic perspective of what's unfolding. Absolutely. Very well said. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening in. Please like, share, subscribe, uh, leave comments in the comment section. We always read every one of them. We may not reply. I need to get better about that. Uh, but thank you for, uh, for listening to those. Really appreciate it. Everyone have a terrific weekend. Stay safe. This is CJ Lennon Paul signing off. So take care, everyone. Thank you so much, Paul. Pleasure.